Anyway, if you have your Bible, hold it up nice and high, and let's go ahead and say this all together. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all God has destined me to be. Amen. If you would remain standing in honor of God's word, we are going to the gospel of Mark. And my title today is God doesn't show up in the rain. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing with y'all. Um, <laughs> Mark chapter number two, beginning in verse number one. I guess that wasn't for you guys because you guys are here today. It was for everybody else who thinks that rain melts them. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Mark chapter number two. Maybe they're like the wicked witch of the West from, you know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I promise I won't do that the whole service. Mark chapter number two, beginning in verse number one. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes which were sitting there and reasoning in their heart and reasoning in their hearts said, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within himself, I mean, Jesus was savage. He didn't even let him think a thought that was outside of him knowing it. He knows exactly what we are thinking. When Jesus reasoned that they had perceived this in their spirit, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say that a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out into the, in the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Today in our series, he amazes me. I want to talk to you from the subject. You can get up from the mat. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your anointing that speaks to the heart of every single person. We pray for your word to be confirmed by your power in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you've come to church here for any length of time, you've probably heard me mention one of the Rocky movies on more times than one, right? It's one of my favorite series of all times. And some would think that the reason why it's my favorite series of all time is because Rocky was the Italian stallion. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. That has a little something to do with it. You know, anything that's Italian, it's good. By the way, if you know some Italian people, invite them to come to church. Why? Church will be better with more Italian people. I just, I promise you. But the real reason why I love the Rocky series is because Rocky would always get up 
off the mat. Whether it's Mick, you know, telling him you stay down against Apollo or Adrian turning her face when Rocky got down or the opponent raising their hands in victory thinking that they had knocked Rocky out. One of the things I love about Rocky is no matter what, he got up off of the mat. And this is a spiritual principle and a scriptural promise. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16 says, for though the righteous falls seven times, they rise again. And and we can read that with our religious mind and some people start counting. Okay, well this is my seventh time down. Can Can I get up again? No. The point is that we can keep getting up no matter how many times we get knocked down in life. And the scripture also tells us in Psalm 92 verse 12, the righteous will flourish like the palm tree. And you all know that the palm tree in storms, it kind of, it kind of bends over like this, but when the storm is finished, it pops back up again. And, and so we have this in our DNA. We can rise again. I, I remember what Rocky said in one of the last Rockies. He said, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, and nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And life and victory in Christ is also about getting up off the mat after life has knocked you down. And the good news is if you are a child of God and a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you have bounced back in your DNA because the king of comebacks is Jesus and he is your Lord and he is your savior. They put him in the grave on Friday, but three days later he gave or came out with the greatest comeback in all of history. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. And he came out with the keys to death and life in his hands. We serve the king of the comebacks and that is in our DNA. Matter of fact, the scripture says in Romans 8, it says the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. In other words, the reason why Jesus came back is because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was present in him and that same power is present in your life and so that means no matter how many times life knocks you down, you can get up again. And I want to encourage somebody, maybe you're down right now, I want you to know and I want to prophesy over your life that you will rise again. Your momentary affliction will turn into a greater weight of glory. You may be down now, but God's going to give you beauty for ashes. He's going to give you the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Your marriage can rise again. Your health will rise again. Your family can rise again. Your dreams can rise again. Your hope can rise again. Your joy can rise again again. Your love for God can rise again. If you receive it, say amen. You'll rise again. We have that DNA on the inside of us. And we got to realize that just because we're down doesn't mean that we are out. And as we come to our story, we find Jesus 
entering or being back in the city of Capernaum. And you remember the city of Capernaum has become his home base. And the reason why it was his home base is because he got kicked out of Nazareth. And so he relocated to Capernaum, which bordered on the Sea of Galilee. And it was therefore the highway to the rest of the region via boat. It was one of the reasons why Jesus' fame spread throughout the whole area because people would come to Capernaum and they would get there in their boat, go back to their uh, towns or cities, and they would spread the news about Jesus. And Jesus gets to Capernaum, and if you read your Bible in order of kind of what happens when he gets there, as soon as he arrives, he goes right to the synagogue and, begin to, and begins to, to teach the word of God, which I think is interesting because as soon as Jesus gets to a new place, the first thing he does is find his church. A lot of people move to all different locations for all different sorts of reasons. But one of the things that you always have to keep at the top of your list is where am I going to go to get fed? What's going to be my home church? And so as soon as Jesus gets there, he goes right to the synagogue and he begins to teach the word of God in a way they never heard it before because he teaches it as a man with authority. His teaching is so uh, unusual to them that they've never seen anybody teach like this. And while he's teaching a demon that is possessing a notable man in the church begins to cry out. It's funny how the guy went to church and went to church and went to church and went to church and never cried out. But as soon as somebody with authority showed up, all of a sudden he started to cry out. And the demon recognizes Jesus and begins to actually speak. And he says, you are the Holy One of God. Are you here to, to, to destroy us before our time? And Jesus cast the demon out of the man. And the man kind of you know convulses a little bit. But before you know it, the man is completely set free. And the news of this begins to spread like wildfire all throughout Capernaum. And then right from the synagogue, if you read it again in sequential order, he goes to the house of Peter. The house of Peter lived in Capernaum. And the house of Peter actually becomes the headquarters or the place that Jesus kind of crashes at while he's in the city of Capernaum. By the way, when the Bible says Jesus had no place to lay his head, it doesn't literally mean that he didn't have a roof over his head. It simply meant that he was an itinerant minister and he went from place to place to place to place and so he would just crash at different locations and one of the locations that he crashed at was Peter's house and when he goes to Peter's house to crash there Peter's mother-in-law is sick with the fever and the Bible says that Jesus grabs her by the hand and when you read it in the original language it's not that he grabs her hand softly it's that he actually seizes her hand with authority he rebukes the fever. And in Bible days, if you had a fever like that, it would kill you. And so he literally saves her life. And all of a sudden that news begins to get out from the house of Peter. And so now people are invading the house of Peter with the sick, with the demon possessed, and they're packing the house of Peter. And Peter's house is being sieged now with people who want Jesus to touch them. And this is the grand entrance of Jesus into the city of Capernaum. He comes, the first thing he does, he goes to the synagogue, casts out a devil. Next thing he does is he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then as they bring all these other people to Peter's house, he is healing people by the droves. This is the way Jesus made an entrance into a city. Jesus let everybody know, I'm large and in charge. I'm here to take authority. I'm here to have dominion. Jesus made his presence known. When you walk into a place, you ought to make your presence known, not by being flamboyant or boisterous, but the power of God ought to be present when you walk into a place. 
And that's how Jesus comes into this place. Now, what's interesting about the city of Capernaum is that even though he does most of his miracles in the city of Capernaum, I mean, so many of them, the city receives him as a miracle worker. They receive his blessings, but they never receive him as Lord and Savior. And at one point, Jesus even curses the city of Capernaum, and he says about the city of Capernaum that it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for them because they had all these miracles that were done in them. And Jesus was like, yo, if Sodom and Gomorrah had all these miracles done in them, they may have repented. You have seen all of these miracles, but you have not submitted to my lordship because every miracle is not just meant to keep you happy. A miracle is meant to introduce you to the Messiah. A miracle is meant so that you'll deepen your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could say about the Jews in the city of Capernaum that they were disconnected from their head. Their head being Jesus. And as we come to our story, we find this man who is a paralytic that I've affectionately called Matt. It's funny. I don't care what you all say. He's laying on his mat, right? And, and the reason why he's there is because his head is disconnected from his body. And can I tell you that a lot of the reason why people get on the mat of life is because they are not, they are disconnected from their head. Now, how do I mean disconnected from the head? Well, Matt, Matt's head was disconnected from his body. With people that are on the mat in life, a lot of times it's because they are disconnected to the body of Christ. Because there's a whole sect of people out there these days that don't think coming to the house of God is important. But what happens when you are disconnected from the body of Christ is you wind up being on the mat of life. And God doesn't want you there. God wants there to be a connection between the body and the head. And Matt is in a paralytic condition because his head is not connected to his body. He has all the parts that he needs. He has hands. He has feet. He has everything that he needs. But his brain or his body is not receiving the signal from his brain and so he tries to move his hands and it's not that he doesn't have a hand but the brain and the body are disconnected from one another he tries to get up but the brain and the body are disconnected from one another and whenever there is a disconnection between the head and the body there is a paralyzed condition i'm preaching real good this morning already and as we come To our text, we find some keys about how we can get off the mat by looking at this this illustration in this story. And the first key we see in the story is his friends, or for our purposes, the people around you. The people around you are so key to whether or not you stay on the mat or get off the mat in life. This man has four, four friends around him, and they decide that Jesus is Matt's answer. Four friends that decide to... Drop what they are doing, and without any pickup truck, without any SUV, heck, they didn't even have a Mini Cooper. They decided to pick up Matt on his little gurney or whatever it was that he had and carry them from where he was all the way to where Jesus was. We don't know how far the trip was, but I know if you're carrying somebody that is laying on a mat, each person's got a corner. After you carry them for a block or two blocks or three blocks, it begins to come, become tiresome. But they sacrifice. They drop what they're doing. They are not content with Matt lying there in that condition. They're going to do whatever it takes to get 
Matt to Jesus. Everybody needs people in their lives who are not content with watching you stay stuck in your circumstances, but are willing to do whatever it takes to get you connected with Jesus. People who will encourage you in not just the ways of the world, but people who will encourage you in the ways of God so that you'll walk with Jesus. People who love you enough to make sure that while you are stuck, you don't stray away from Jesus. People like Moses had, who lifted up his hands when he was praying and got tired. People who are willing to stand with you, agree with you, get their hands dirty for you. People who know how to speak life to you and to stand on the word with you and pray with you. People who will use their faith when yours is weak. People who will challenge you and even people who will correct you. Sometimes what we need to get up off the mat is correction. Nobody likes that though. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's a difference between betrayal, which is when somebody sells you out to somebody who can hurt you, and somebody who is a friend who is getting you the help that you need so that you can get up off the mat. Both don't feel good at the time because nobody likes correction. Matter of fact, we don't even like correction when God corrects us. The Bible says no chastening seemeth good for the season, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised thereby. Sometimes when somebody corrects us when we're down and they are a friend, we need to receive that correction so that we can get back up again. Everybody needs somebody in their life some of the time to get up off the mat. And sometimes your miracle is just a matter of who is it that's around you? Timothy needed Paul when he got consumed with the spirit of fear because Nero was killing people who claimed or who professed Jesus Christ and Timothy began to shy back but Paul came along his spiritual mentor Paul came along his spiritual father and he says God has not given you a spirit of fear but of love power and a sound mind he said do not be ashamed of the gospel nor of my chains Timothy I am confident I am persuaded that there is an unfeigned faith in you that was first there and put you by your grandmother and then your mother and I need that faith to begin to shine again. Timothy, don't you dare allow this circumstance to keep you on the mat. Esther needed Mordecai, her uncle, when she was chosen by God to go before the king to save the Jewish people. She was going to stay on the mat, but Mordecai came along and said, you know, God has chosen you for such a time as this. Paul needed Barnabas. The early church would not receive Paul. The early church, when Paul got saved, didn't believe Paul was saved because he was such a persecutor of the church. You know what I'm believing for? I'm believing for people who are so far from Christ to come to Christ that we sit there and scratch our heads going, nah, that can't be. That's not right. I knew who they used to be. I knew who they, they what they used to do. I remember when I went back to high school and told them I was a preacher, they said, nah, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. That is the work of God in your life. Everybody needs somebody. So Barnabas went out and he found Paul or Saul and he brought him back to church. Imagine if Paul or Saul didn't have Barnabas. He would have potentially not become everything that God has created him to be. Everybody needs somebody in their life to help them to receive their miracle. I was reading this this principle. A business coach was teaching people and challenging his audience with the following question. Name one person outside of Jesus who by himself without the help of anybody else did anything significant for mankind. 
And he never thought anybody would be able to give an answer. And somebody in the crowd yelled, Charles Lindbergh! He, he crossed the Atlantic Ocean all by himself solo in a plan. He was the first one to do it solo. And the coach said, well, you know, uh, you're, you're right. He did cross the Atlantic all by himself. And the crowd cheered because they thought they had gotten a guy. And he said, but do you know that there was a whole company that built the plane? Do you know that there were 10 millionaires that financed the journey? He said, next question, next question. Everybody is connected to somebody who is helping them to do and to get off the mat in life. And the people around us have everything to do with the miracle. Are they pumping faith into our lives when we are on the mat? Are they pumping doubt into our lives? Are they pumping encouragement? Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. Then it says this, and people don't, don't like this next part. Not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. And so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the primary place where you find the people who can help you to get off the mat is in the house of God. That's why you cannot be disconnected from the head. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall down, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. See, we don't just need any kind of people around our life. We need threefold cord people. What does that mean? It means people who also bring Jesus in. Well, I mean, people without Jesus can be of some benefit to you as you're going through, but the greatest time people in our lives are the people who know Jesus, the people around us. The second principle, how do I get up off my mat, Pastor? The obstacles in front of you. How do you handle the obstacles in front of you? They carry Matt all the way from where he is to the house where Jesus was. Their excitement is through the roof. Y'all just missed it. I worked on that joke all week right there. Y'all just totally missed it. Uh, and they get there, and, and the place is so packed that they can't get in through the front door. And to say that their disappointment is, they are disappointed is an understatement. After all that effort, after all that sweat, after all that anticipation, they can't get in. If they were like most, the obstacle would have stopped them. They would have said, well, we tried. We did all we could, but there's nothing else left that we could do. But I like these guys. I believe one of the friends said to the other friends, we didn't come this far to go back now. I believe they looked at Matt and they looked at him and said, we didn't carry your heavy self all this way just to carry you back the way that we came. I believe one of the friends looked at the other ones of the friends and I, I, I envision that his name was Rufus. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that all day. I'm not going to do that all day. And he looked at them and he said, he said, there is another door. There is another way in. And so they grabbed Matt and they climbed up onto the roof. By the way, sometimes the obstacle in your way is there so that you can change levels. Sometimes the obstacle that is in your way is there so that you could go up to a higher level in life. Amen. Who are we when we believe God that we're not just stuck, but God is calling us to a higher place. Sometimes the reason you got rejected by that relationship is because it was the wrong relationship and if those people would have liked you they would have limited you and so what God did was God shut the door so that you could go up to a higher place in life how do you handle 
the obstacles that are in front of you? Do you quit or do you see them as a signal for you to go up higher? So they go up higher. They find another door. And I don't know about you, but I want people around me in my life who don't quit at the first sign of opposition. I want people around me who find another door, who believe God so much that they aren't dissuaded by the difficulty, but they are determined despite the obstacles in their way. I want people who have faith to find another way, people who trust God enough that when there is no way, they believe that he will make a way where there is no way. Matter of fact, you know, y'all know I've been talking about it lately because I'm kind of a little obsessed with it. I I love pickleball. I, I play it all the time now. Went to New Jersey last week to play some pickleball. I, I got into where I was going to preach on Friday. And uh, Pastor John said, yeah, I've been playing for a little while. I'm going to bring some guys with me. And he said, these guys, these guys are pretty good. They're rated, you know, and rating, you get pickleball ratings all the way up to five. And if you're just like an average player, you're like a three. If you're like a, a good average player, good amateur, like three, five. If you're a four and up, then, then, then you're, you're outstanding. You're almost pro. There was a couple of guys in the group that were, were fours. And so I'm thinking, well, I've only been playing for two months. I, these guys are probably going to smoke me, but they don't know what kind of man I am. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, we go there, and this one guy, he, he, he slams one. And so when somebody slams, you gotta be back to receive the slam. And so, so I, I pop the, the slam back, I get it back over the net, and that's not good because if you pop it up in pickleball, they slam it back at you. So I, I pop it up just trying to stay in the point, and then he goes for a kill in the corner. And when he goes for a kill in the corner, most people would have just let it go. But I go and I go lay out for this thing. Okay? And there's this, there's this, this drapery around the pickleball court because it's inside, like this heavy duty drapery. And behind the drapery, there are these steel beams. And, 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 and I didn't know there were steel beams behind the drapery. And I go and I'm, I'm going at full speed and I lay out for this thing and, and the thing goes off the top of my paddle. I don't return it. And I go through the curtain. And as I'm falling through the curtain, I'm praying because it's like a slow motion thing for me. I'm praying, Lord, please, please don't let me hit anything, right? I didn't know there were steel beams behind there. And thank God I didn't hit anything and I landed on my butt where there's a lot of cushion. And so I was all right. And the guys, they come running. They thought I killed myself. And they, why didn't you just, just just let the ball go. Because I don't play like that. No. I don't play. Maybe you play like that, but I don't play like that. I play every point as if it's my last point. I play to win. I preach to win. I live to win. See, this is the kind of thing that we have to get into our spiritual arsenal. We aren't just giving up because it's hard. We're not just giving up because we think it's out of reach. We are going for everything, thinking that we are going to win every time. And from a spiritual point of view, if we stay faithful to Jesus, we do win every time. We need people who know how to handle obstacles. The third thing that determines whether or not you get off the mat is the actions that expose you. The actions that expose you. So they climb up to the roof. Just one thing, either the door, and by the way, in Bible times, they they had doors in their roofs. Like, picture an attic door, but it led up to the roof. And the reason for that is they would often use the top of the houses as kind of like a porch or something like that. And so it could be accessed from the house. And so these guys knew. They said, well, we can, there's another door. Let's go up on the roof. So they climb up on the roof. And when they get there, either the door that was already there was not big enough to fit Matt through on his bed or dirt had covered it up. And so when they get up there, they begin to dig. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but sometimes you ought to thank God for the closed doors because that's what taught you how to dig. 
See, sometimes if you're going to get anywhere in life, sometimes you have to learn how to dig. Some of you don't get excited sometimes when you should get excited. The Bible says count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And when patience has a perfect work, you'll be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. In other words, conflict works in you, your faith. Conflict causes your faith to arise. And so sometimes when there is a closed door, you ought to get excited because God is about ready to teach you how to dig. God will use everything that the enemy puts against you for his glory. And so they start digging up the roof. And, And what I love about Mark is Mark is the only one of the gospel writers that says this. And there's a reason for it because Mark is Peter's scribe. The gospel of Mark was actually written by Mark but was dictated by Peter. Peter's scribe. And whose house was this? Peter's. And so everybody else just glosses over the fact that the roof is getting ripped up because who cares if it's not your problem, it's not your problem, right? But if it is your problem, you you talk about it, you mention it. And so Peter, as he's telling this story and Mark is writing this story down, Peter says, you better put that detail in. They ripped my roof up to get their miracle. We need some people who are willing to get their hands dirty for God, amen? Manicures or miracles, which one do you want in your life? Sometimes if you want to keep your hands dirty, you're not going to get the miracle that God has for you. But but notice they rip this up, they dig, and the text says, I love this about the text, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw that, but see, a lot of people don't think you can see faith, because a lot of people think faith is just an inner conviction. Faith is something on the outside that reveals what you believe on the inside. Faith is not just a belief. Faith is a belief with a corresponding action. And when the Bible says that they, Jesus saw their faith, the, the, the Greek says delightfully viewed their faith. Here's literally what it means. It means Jesus started smiling when they saw they were ripping up the roof. I believe he looked over at Peter. Look, look at this, Peter. They're ripping up the roof. Peter's face was probably like, what you, why, why are you smiling like that for? They're, that's not your roof. That's my roof, you know? Why are you smiling? And Jesus was smiling because these people had enough confidence in Jesus that they knew that if they got this man to Jesus, he was going to be healed. Jesus starts smiling when you start doing crazy things in expectation for him to do a miracle in your life. You need your faith to be seen. Faith that is not seen is not faith. If there is no corresponding action, it is not faith. If all you are doing is believing on the inside, but you are not acting on the outside, you are not walking in faith. Our actions betray us. Our actions tell us whether we are in faith or not. I'm believing God for finances. Are you tithing? See how it always gets quiet whenever you mention that. I always say it after the offering so nobody gets nervous. We're not trying to pressure you or nothing like that. But your actions betray you. 
Are you willing to give God a praise when you're still in in chains, Paul and Silas? Are you willing to shout when the walls of Jericho are still up? Your actions betray you. There is something that has to correspond to your faith in order for it to be real faith. And the only way that you're going to get your miracle is if you exercise faith, not just conviction, but conviction that corresponds with action. The actions that be... Trey, what seed are you sowing? What seed are you sowing? Years ago, these this couple in our church, they couldn't have kids. I prayed for them. They went home. They set up a whole baby room before they had the kid. Another couple, their child had cancer. They sowed a huge financial seed before their child was healed. A couple of months ago, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, I want you to believe you. Believe me for a $100,000 increase per week on your tithes and offerings so that you could really do everything that I've called you to do. So I started sowing a thousand dollars extra every single week. Why? Because a hundredfold return. There has to be action that corresponds to your faith in order for you to receive the miracle that God has for you. If you're just being sedentary in what you are believing God for, you will not receive what God wants you to have because God responds to faith. Number four, fourth way to get off the mat. The theology that influences you. Mark chapter 2, verse number 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The rabbis had a saying, There is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. To the Jews, a sick man was a man whom God was angry at. In other words, they believed that God was a punisher and would put sickness on people. This was their theology, and the theology that we believe becomes the reality that we receive. Let me say it again. The theology that we believe becomes the reality that we receive. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 verse 24, therefore I say to you, what, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. The theology we believe becomes the reality we receive. So long comes Jesus and he begins to correct their theology that he is, that, that he, God in Christ, is not a punisher but a provider. It's the first thing he's trying to teach them. How do we know that? Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. God is not a punisher, but he is a provider. When you are, Jesus didn't come to punish mankind for their sins. He came to free mankind from their sins. He didn't come to hold sins against people. He came to live people out of their sins. Jesus comes along. He says, I'm not a God of sickness. I'm a God of healing. Exodus 23, verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness from the midst of you. Jesus came to correct their theology that he is not a God who does evil, but he's a God who only does good. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went about doing 
good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Jesus came to correct their theology that God wasn't angry, that God wasn't mean, that God wasn't a punisher, that God didn't make this guy sick, that God didn't put sickness on this guy as a punishment for his sin, but that Jesus had come to relieve this man of whatever it is that was causing the sin, uh, the sickness in the first place. But they didn't believe it. By the way, theology 101. This is the scripture everybody should keep in their heart. This is how your theology will be straight for the rest of your life. John 10.10. That is the scripture that every other theological point of view should be matched against. Here's what it says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Don't ever get the devil and God mixed up with one another. Jesus doesn't come to steal. The devil steals. Jesus gives. Jesus doesn't come to kill. The devil kills. Jesus comes to give life. Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus doesn't come to destroy. The devil comes to destroy. Jesus comes to deliver. Anytime you ever get God and the devil in the same arena, your theology is twisted because God and the devil are nothing like one another. They are juxtaposed to one another. Everything that God is, the devil is the opposite. Everything that the devil is, God is the opposite. He's a counterfeiter. He's not the real thing. He's a mimic of God, but he's not God. Don't ever put him in the same position as God. And so they look. Jesus says, son, thy sins be forgiven. They say, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus is, number one, correcting their theology, but number two, he's proving that he was God. You ever get around people? Jesus never said he was God. Oh, he said it a ton of times. Here's one of them. Nobody can forgive sins except God. Exactly. That's why Jesus said it, because he wanted them to know that he was God, that he had the power to forgive sins. And by the way, the way our sins are forgiven is through the blood of his cross. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fount filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Your sins are not forgiven because you do something. Your sins are not forgiven because you go to penance. Your sins are not forgiven because you behave yourself. Your sins are forgiven when you put your faith in the blood of his cross. The blood of Jesus is what causes us to be forgiven of our sins. Why else did Jesus say, son, thy sins be forgiven? Because that is what Matt needed most. Matt needed this most. Can you imagine the conversation between the four friends? What did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Did he say anything about healing? We, we, didn't, we didn't come here to have our sins forgiven. We came here so that Matt can walk. Can I ask you a question? What do you do when God bypasses what you want? Do you have enough faith when God, by, God bypasses what you want to believe he's giving you what you need most? 
Jesus didn't want to heal the man's body and leave his soul sick. That would have been cruel. Healing the body is temporary. It's a temporary blessing. But leaving the soul sick has eternal consequences. Hear me clearly. Above all else, God wants your soul saved. And that means you must be forgiven of your sins because the soul that sins dies. When sin is finished, it brings forth death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The consequence of dying in our sin is eternal separation from God. That should shake every person to the core. So Jesus starts with what is most essential and what is most difficult to forgive sins. Listen, you can go to hell with a healed body. You can go to hell with a full bank account. You can go to hell happy. Until you get to hell, then you ain't happy no more. But you cannot go to hell with your sins forgiven. And Jesus' mission at the top of the list is I need to save them from their sins. And the Pharisees didn't like this. Son, thy sins are forgiven. But I love this about Jesus. He, they didn't like his theology. But watch how savage Jesus gets. Mark chapter 2 verse number 8. But immediately when Jesus perceived this in their spirit. They reasoned thus within themselves. He said to them, what do you think? Why do you reason these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. I love this. He used his friends to get him forgiven. He used his enemies to get him healed. Y'all just missed that. He used his friends to get him forgiven. He used his enemies to get him healed. I know, I don't know who this is for, but instead of getting bitter at your enemies, you might want to send them a thank you note for the blessings that are going to come your way if you stay with Jesus because of your enemies' persecution. Because of them, you pray more. Because of them, you trust more. Because of them, you learn how to forgive. Because of them, God sets a table for you in the presence of your enemies. My Bible says, blessed are they when they revile and persecute you because great is your reward in heaven. I thought I'd give you 15 seconds to thank God a little bit for the enemies in your life and everything that he's done as a result of them. But I love this about Jesus because watch how Jesus corrects their theology. By the way, Joseph became a prime minister because of his haters. Jesus went to the cross and conquered death because of his haters. I wrote a book of what happened to me because of my haters got paid six figures for it. Don't always hate your haters. Sometimes you got to thank your haters. And by the way, not everybody is a hater. If you're late for work and your boss gives you a hard time, he's not a hater. You're just late for work. If you're sitting on the bench and your coach may not be a hater, it may just be because you're not good enough and you need to practice more. It's amazing how many people we label as haters because we don't want to face the reality of what God may want to do in our life. Come on, somebody. But I want you to notice how Jesus corrects their theology. Here's what he says. He says, which is easier? Which is easier? The word easy is to do something with no effort at all. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, if you realize I have the power to forgive sin, if you realize that I took out the biggest problem in your life, if you realize that I smacked the bully in the teeth, if you realize that I took down what nobody else can take down, that any time you have any other problem in your life, whether it be a physical problem, whether it be a financial problem, whether it be a marriage problem, then you know if I could take out sin, this is just easy for me. I could do it with no effort whatsoever. Oh, that we would know what has been done for us on that cross when he killed and took away the sin that was against our soul. Everything else becomes easy for Jesus. Jesus went with the hardest thing and then he said, now let me do the easy thing. It's not that he didn't want him healed. Yes, he wanted him healed, but he wanted to start at the top and make his way down. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. It's easy for Jesus. Jesus was was working on the hard things first, the theology that influences you. What is it that you believe? That determines whether you stay on the mat or get up again. I'm going to skip the next one and go to point six because I don't got that much time. Number six, the memories that define you. This is the grand finale. After seeing their faith and forgiving Matt's sins and regarding the thoughts of the Pharisees or reading the thoughts of the Pharisees and using Matt's enemies to inspire Matt's miracle, he says to Matt, pick up your bed and go to your house. Now, I've been preaching for a long time, so I've preached this text before, but it's worthy of saying it again. If I was Matt and he told me pick up my bed and take it home, I'd be like, time out. The last thing I want to do is ever see that bed again. What I'm going to do with this bed is I'm either leaving it here or I'm taking it out to the garbage dump and I'm going to burn that bed. There's no way I'm taking that bed home with me. Why did Jesus look at Matt and said, pick up your mat, pick up your bed and take it home? Because you and I have this tendency that whenever God does something, as soon as things go right in our life, we forget about what God has done. The children of Israel walk through the Red Sea on dry land. God does a water miracle. Three days later, they start complaining that they have no water to drink. Not one of them said, God's got us. If he can, if he can part the Red Sea, he'd give us water to drink. God's got us. If he did that miracle, this not one of them said that. All they did was start complaining about the fact that they had no water. In three days, they forgot that God parted the Red Sea. And God knows what happens to you and I. The enemy will use our memories to haunt us. And so there will be times after everything is going all right that suddenly he'll bring back bad things in our life and they will start haunting us. And so Jesus looks at Matt and he says, Matt, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that thing that I just got you off of and I want you to take it home with you. And you know what I believe Matt did with it? Put it over his mantle. And a couple of years went by. And people started coming over to Matt's house for coffee. And now everybody forgot what Jesus did. And say, hey, Matt, why do you have that stinky, dirty mat above your mantle right there? And Matt started to tear up just a little bit. He said, oh, he said, let me tell you a little story. 
He said, one day I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed for most of my life. My friends carried me to Jesus. And you know what that is? That marks the day. That's a reminder for me of the day he forgave my sins. That's a reminder of me of the day he removed my stigma. That's a reminder of me for me of the day he took away my scars. That's a reminder for me of the day he made me walk. The day he stopped all the talk about me. Jesus gave Matt a memory that could keep him on the right track when the enemy came with memories to haunt him. When the enemy tries to pull you back, what memories of what God has done do you use to keep your self-grounded. The enemy will use your memories to haunt you. Jesus wants to give you memories that will reframe what we recall and instead of remembering a time of pain we will remember them as a time of God's power in our lives. Jesus gave him this as a symbol. Don't you ever forget. Remember what David did? David was going out against Goliath. What did he say? The same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Why? Because David remembered what God had done. David was on the run from Saul. He was hiding in caves. He had no way to defend himself. He went to the high priest Abiathar and he said, listen, can I have the sword of Goliath? He needed a weapon. Abiathar took out the sword of Goliath and David looked at it and he said, there is no, no other sword like it. Not because it was the biggest sword. Not because it was the shiniest sword. Not because it was the sharpest sword, but it was the sword where he remembered what God had done in his life. The memories that define you. How are you thinking about what God has done? And if you have no memory of anything good God has done, think to the day you gave your life to Jesus where he set your soul free, where your sin was washed away, and you're on your way to heaven. I want to close with this. Would you stand with me, please? The last thing that is going to influence whether you get up off the mat is the God that is for you. Immediately he arose. He took up his bed. He went out in the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. The story starts with a closed door. It moves to a dug door. It ends with a strut through the front door and the miracle becomes an open door. Can you picture it with me? Matt's not healed. He came in through the roof. Guess where he left through? The door he couldn't get in to begin with. Can I tell you, when God does stuff in your life, you will walk through doors that other people kept shut in your life, and they will have to walk you as watch you as you strut. Because my Bible says that he will make a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I could see Jesus looking at Matt with a little wink. Because normally when some people take their first steps, they have mom and dad cheering them on. But Matt is taking his first steps in the presence of his enemies. Everybody is looking at him crossway. And Jesus was the only one saying, go ahead, man. Go ahead and walk out that front door. They won't let you in that front door, but now it's time for them to watch you walk through doors you couldn't get into to begin with. And as everybody is watching, that front door becomes an open door for everyone who is there to see what Jesus had done. See, our lives, our miracles should always be invitations 
to everyone who knows us to come through the door to salvation and his name is Jesus we used to sing a song back in the day take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and my days let them flow in endless praise take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful Lord for thee Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages, Lord, from Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite will I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as Thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it Thine, so that it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is Thine own, it shall be Your royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at Thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. See, our lives are meant to be doors. They're meant to be doors where people can walk through and meet the way, the truth, and the life, and the only door to the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? Why do you want a miracle? Why do you want a miracle? Why do you want a miracle of excessive finances? Why do you want a miracle of physical health? Why do you want a miracle in your marriage? Now, I know part of it is, well, I want to just be happy. I know that. But that can't be where it stops. The reason why you should want it is because, God, I want to use this miracle as a door for you. Would you bow your heads Father in the mighty name of Jesus we come to you we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your miracle working power in our lives Father you are good today we humble ourselves before you we ask you to use our lives for your glory if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life if you don't know if you are forgiven of your sins pastor I think I am I'm a pretty good person I think God God wants me to go to heaven yeah he does I think I'm going I think I am because you know my life my good outweighs my bad that's not how you get to heaven you get to heaven when you put your faith in the cross of Christ and the shed blood on the cross and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior when you repent of your sins you ask God to forgive you no one looking around if you're here today and you're not sure if you're right with God today God wants to do the greatest miracle of all in your life he wants to save your soul if you'd say to me pastor today I don't know if I'm saved but today I want God to forgive me I want to be right with him right where you are just put your hands up to heaven I want to pray with you hold them up high pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus I don't know if I'm saved but today I want to be hallelujah I promise we won't embarrass you I'm going to ask one more time because God loves you that much is there anybody here, Pastor, today, want to give my life to Jesus? If you're praising God, put your hands down. I only need your hands up if you're giving your life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There might be somebody online. There usually is. God is speaking to you, and you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to pray this prayer with you right now. Would you all say this prayer together with me? Heavenly Father, today I repent of my sins. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, maybe you didn't raise your hand, you should have. You can see an usher, but if you prayed that that prayer for the first time online, type the word Jesus in the chat and we'll reach right out to you. God bless all of you. Remember, as always, you can get up off the mat of life. We'll see you next week. God bless you.